Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're studying on the subject of propitiation. What does that word mean? It really means the mercy seat, but it was the place where God was satisfied. He was only temporarily appeased with every sacrifice of the Old Testament, but when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, God was totally satisfied and said, no more sacrifices. Sound good? It is good. Let's go to the Word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Welcome to Student of the Word. If you've been with us for the past six lessons, we have gone through a number of, of lessons on the theology simplified. This is from the book, and on top of that, it takes the Word of God and it takes these seemingly difficult doctrines and breaks them down to where you can easily understand it. Because believe me, Jesus did not give them to you to look complicated or look like he's above you or smarter than you. And Paul and Peter and others that use these terms are not using them because simply they're trying to look better than you. They're trying to explain it. And so we're going to take what they did and just bring it down to 21st century theology, and also 21st century speaking. So today we're taking up number seven, the doctrine of propitiation. And propitiation, helosterion is the Greek word. I know that sounds like a big word. It just simply means mercy seat. That's exactly what it means. The mercy seat had a special place. The mercy seat was the last thing that the blood was placed upon. And the blood was uh, uh, slain, and or the animal was slain. The blood was taken, put into bowls. It was used for various things. But then the last thing that happened was it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is a type of God being satisfied. All the work has been done. Now the sprinkling of the blood. And literally what happened at this point was it's it's God basically uh, throughout the word of God, whenever the uh, sacrifices were given, God would just at the end of it. And what the word simply means is besides mercy seat, it means satisfaction. God was totally satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross. The biblical meaning of propitiation is God the Father is satisfied with the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. Until that time, he was never satisfied. He was temporarily appeased with Old Testament sacrifices. Satisfaction is a synonym for propitiation. In fact, I've often said, well, you know, Rolling Stone's saying about this, I can't get no propitiation. If you need a little help thinking about that, or if you need a little help figuring out the word satisfaction, then you know this is what propitiation means, that God was satisfied, propitiated with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Take a look with me here at Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to take a look at verses 5 through 7. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It deals with the humanity and the deity of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and also deals with how redemption came and the birth of Jesus. In fact, this is my favorite Christmas verse in the Bible. People don't often look to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 and verse through verse 7 to see a Christmas verse, but it's in there. And take a look with me here as uh, Paul is pointing back in Hebrews to the time when Jesus came into this earth and was born of the Virgin Mary and first was laid down inside the manger. This is that tiny baby laying there. And I want you to notice what it says. What an interesting verse of scripture. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, we can stop right there. That's enough to blow your mind. When he came into the world, he said, I want you to understand something. He didn't say this from his humanity. He said this from his deity and he was speaking to the father. 
If he would looked at Mary and said this, she'd have freaked out. He was newborn. And yet insight, understand something physically in his humanity, he grew up, but deity never grew up. This deity that was placed inside of a human body was eternal, had been there forever, would be here forever. And notice what he said, speaking to the father from his deity to the father itself, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. He's now fulfilling what the Old Testament said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child that was born was his humanity. The son that was given was eternal deity. And he said, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. There it is. This is the meaning of the word propitiation. Up until now, you've had no pleasure in Old Testament sacrifices. The word here means you were not well pleased. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of the book is everything prophesied about him, every sacrifice, every offering, every law he fulfilled. And he said, I have come in the volume of the book that's written to me. And for 33 years, Jesus fulfilled scripture after scripture after scripture. In fact, many things he did, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by and it named a prophet. And here Jesus came. Jesus on his first day when he walked into his hometown after he'd been anointed by the Holy Spirit and walked into his hometown and read a verse of scripture, he read out of Isaiah 61, said, this day, this verse is fulfilled in your ears. And the people there went berserk. They could not figure it out. How dare him say that he is the prophet? How dare him say he's the Messiah? Because they knew that verse was talking about Messiah. So again, I want you to notice, he said there, up until now, you've had no pleasure. Again, God in the Old Testament was temporarily appeased long enough. In fact, one word that's used in the Old Testament was God winked at sin. He didn't wink at sin until the sacrifice was made, but winking didn't mean he overlooked it. It means he kept pushing it off and pushing off. Okay, I'm temporarily satisfied, push that off. The next one, I'm temporarily satisfied, push that off. And day after day and sacrifice after sacrifice and year after year, and millennium after millennium went by when all these sacrifices were made. But when Jesus went to the cross and died and arose from the dead, God the Father was satisfied with the work of Jesus and said, there'll never have to be another sacrifice made for sin ever again. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. God was eternally satisfied with the work of Jesus. He was only temporarily satisfied. Like I said, the word that's best used there is God was temporarily appeased. He was only temporarily appeased and then another sacrifice had to be made. But when Jesus arose from the dead, look what God said. Hebrews chapter 10, go down to verse 10 and verse 14, by that will, that will was Jesus willing to die. That's what he said back in verses five through seven. By that willingness to die, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who were being sanctified. There it is right there. God didn't have to have anything else after that. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient. So that's the beauty of it. Jesus Christ arose from the dead and no more sacrifices had to be made. It's interesting here in the book of Hebrews that sacrifices were still being made because the Jews back there still did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the ones that operated in the temple, the priesthood that was being done in that day. And yet the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus prophesied that in chapter 22 of the book of Luke. 
Luke, and then he prophesied it also in the beginning of chapter 24 of Matthew when he said, not one stone here will be left on another. And in 70 AD, that temple was completely torn down and the Romans came and did it under Titus and the Jews were dispersed around the world. And they've been dispersed now for over 2,000 years. You know, it's interesting. My wife and I have taken seven groups over to Israel. And while we're there, I usually talk to the guide in front of everybody and ask him, because they'll talk about the temple. This is the outside wall. And the Jews still come here and do all this and stuff. And I said, I asked him, I said, how do you have your sins forgiven? They said, God looks, and they all say the same thing. Well, God looks at the attitude of the heart. They must be taught what to say. And they said, God looks at the attitude. If there's a repentant heart, then God forgives their sins. And my whole thought is that's New Testament. I mean, if you come to Jesus to get born again, you have to admit you're a sinner. I need a savior. You confess him as the savior, the Lord of your life. As a believer, you come to him and you repent before him for that sin, 1 John 1, 9. And in repenting of that sin, then that one sin is forgiven. In other words, salvation for a sinner is believing in Jesus Christ, but deliverance of an individual sin for a believer coming back into fellowship with God, not relationship, is done by confessing that one sin. Every time it's an attitude of the heart spoken with the mouth. And immediately I bring up, I said, but in, in, in the verses you're talking about from Isaiah, these are the verses of scripture, unless there's a sacrifice made and they'll begin to hum haw around. They'll say, well, you know, God still looks at, and what they, they don't know what to do because there is no temple there. Well, the temple, thank God, is being right now prepared to be rebuilt. It's an interesting thing to look up and find out what's going on in the temple uh, being built over in Israel. And the Jews are excited about it. The the Temple Museum, where they have been working on it for years and putting pieces together, is all complete now. And the Temple Institute now is ready to start building the temple. And all they're waiting for is the right time to do it because they already got permission for it. And so there's a lot of excitement in Israel. In fact, those who are running for office in Israel are running on the building of the third temple. So great things are happening in that area. That just simply tells us Jesus is coming soon. There will be a temple during the tribulation. Although there'll be sacrifices made, it won't count. Jesus' blood has stopped this forever. So all that will just simply be something to do. It will be something that they think is important. It's important for them. But it's not important for God because now every sacrifice made, if God even looks at it, is reflecting back on the one eternal one made. In the Old Testament, those that were made looked forward to the work of what Jesus would do on the cross and God saw what was gonna happen and the blood of animals only represented what Jesus would do on the cross and forgive those. Now we have today, as that is being built again or prepared to be built, and that'll take us into the tribulation, not us into the tribulation. That will take the world into the tribulation. We will be in heaven, but what's gonna happen during that time? Sacrifices will be made at that time, but they were of no more value during the tribulation than they were after the resurrection of Jesus. Because for the next numbers of years, they kept offering sacrifices. Hebrews mentions it, that they're still offering sacrifices, but they're of no good to God. Because once that Jesus Christ arose from the dead, God was eternally propitiated, not momentarily propitiated with those thousands and millions of offerings in the Old Testament. So that's coming a time though that Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he will sit there in the temple because the temple will be rebuilt at that time and he's gonna be there. But again, he is the eternal sacrifice sitting there. You and I have accepted the one sacrifice that God said, no more sacrifices have to be made. This is propitiation. Look at Romans chapter three. Take a look at verses 25 and verse 26. Whom, speaking of Jesus, God set forth 
as a propitiation. Here's God's eternal satisfaction. God set him forth and said, this is my satisfaction. How did he do it? By his blood, through faith, to show his righteousness because of the forbearance of God is passed over sin. Again, I pointed out in the Old Testament, he winked at sin. This verse says every time a sacrifice was made and God was temporarily appeased, he pushed it off. He passed over their sins, waiting for the time Jesus would go to the cross. It said that we're previously Committed. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want you to understand when Jesus went to the cross, I love this. Jesus' two hands were spread out. And I believe one went toward all the Old Testament and the, the other one goes all the way to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One pointed to the past, one points to the future. And when Jesus went to the cross, all those that were rolled off and rolled off and rolled off in the Old Testament, he died for all of them that and cleansed it up, but he also died for anyone who would accept him after that time, and their sins were seen as as on the cross as judged, and no more would have to be judged. All that's left for you is to judge one sin, and that's receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so by doing that, we again, we enter into, and God is now satisfied with us. Just as he was satisfied with Jesus, now he's propitiated with us as he is propitiated with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I've been waiting on this book, Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College, and it's my favorite class. I think the students' favorite class is there. And I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult, but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all it covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. When I used to pastor at the church, I would even tell, I'd say, housewives, you that are listening out there today in the congregation, this is designed for you too. If you can't take this sermon, go home and meditate on it. And then the next morning, prepare a tuna fish sandwich for your children to go to school. Then I missed the point today. The word of God is not difficult. Even the Greek and the Hebrew were written on a third or fourth grade level where people can understand it. So that's what this is for. So, you know, this book will help and bless you tremendously as a person, as a, as a convert, and as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you teach a Bible class, if you teach a home cell group, or you're a pastor of a church or whatever, this book is for everybody and it's going to greatly bless you. So I know you're going to be blessed by getting this book and again by growing in the things of God. So this book is available, $15. Go to my website, bobyandian.com, and there you can purchase a copy for yourself. You might be saying, well, $15 sounds like a lot for a book. You'd pay that for a gourmet burger and an order of fries and a Coke after it's all over, and that meal would last you maybe two or three hours, you'd be hungry again. This will feed you for a lifetime. You can read it over and over again, hand it on to your children. It will continue to feed them. And once you get it, one revelation, you'll say, wow, it was certainly worth the $15. So again, go to my website, bobtheandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for yourself. Blessings upon blessings to you. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life 
through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. The verse we just looked at in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and verse 26 tells us what God did in the Old Testament. And what he did was every time a sacrifice was made and he was momentarily appeased, instead of being fully propitiated or fully satisfied, it says he passed over them. This is verse 25 and verse 26, that God passed over those sins. And what he basically did was just turned, uh, turned his eye to them and would not look at them because he said, I'll deal with it later, I'll deal with it later. You know, there's a show on television one time, and, and the, the lady on there, every time something was presented difficult, she said, I'll handle that tomorrow. I'll handle that tomorrow. And what she meant was, I'm not even going to think about it. You know, I'll just, and tomorrow never came because she never dealt with those things. But Jesus, uh, when he went to the cross, he literally fulfilled what God had done. And every time God passed over it, God kept thinking, there's a tomorrow coming. There's a tomorrow coming. I'll deal with that later. Right now, I'm temporarily appeased. Um, these things have been uh, covered over, but they've never been totally dealt with. Jesus went to the cross and cleansed those sins. God momentarily was appeased. God covered those sins, but Jesus removed them once and for all. And that's the work of Jesus on the cross. Now that was for them in the Old Testament. What about for us? Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Not only was he a propitiation for all those sins committed in the Old Testament, all the way back to Adam himself and Eve, but in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, it says this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our sins are those after the cross. Again, Jesus went to the cross and died for sins past, present, and future. Those standing there in front of the cross, spitting at him and yelling at him and telling him, come down off the cross. If you're really the son of God, do that. And when the two thieves, one on each side, joined in with it, but finally, just before he died, one of those thieves said to him, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. How was that made possible? It was done by the propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In propitiation, God judges our sins and the integrity of God is satisfied. What is the integrity of God? Absolute, perfect righteousness. Jesus Christ went to the cross and now when God looks at us, when we are saved, he sees us as the righteousness of God. We have the integrity of God himself because now we are in Christ and Christ is God and Christ is righteous and every attribute of God that God has is found in the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. So God judges our sins and the integrity of God is satisfied, not only toward sin, but also toward us because God saw us as sinners and there was nothing in us worthy of eternal life, nothing worthy in us of forgiveness of these sins and judging of these sins. So when our sins were judged on the cross, both the righteousness and the justice of God were propitiated. You see, on the mercy seat, there were two angels and they were carved out of gold and their wings touched. And so right over the mercy seat and one represents righteousness and one represents the justice of God and both of them looking down the mercy seat, saw the blood sprinkled and God was propitiated. Both his righteousness, which means absolute perfect righteousness, and justice, which means his vengeance towards sin, both of those were satisfied by Jesus on the cross. So now when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the justice of God is put away and the righteousness of God is given to us. Propitiation is appropriated by faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it takes on our part. The moment we receive 
received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God who has been upset with us, seeing us as headed toward hell. For those who have rejected Jesus Christ, the Bible says their sentences, they are already seen as uh, banished from God and already seen as going to hell. But the moment we accept Jesus, that propitiation, now God is satisfied with us because he's satisfied with Jesus, is simply appropriated to us by faith in Jesus Christ. How was Abraham saved? Abraham had faith in the Lord. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Bob had faith in the Lord, and I was actually given the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He was accounted, I was given. What's the difference? Jesus Christ has come and shed his blood, and now the righteousness of God and the justice of God have been totally satisfied through Jesus Christ. Propitiation is the turning away of the wrath of God by the offering of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Our satisfaction has nothing to do with God's satisfaction. You understand something? I remember growing up, I was in a Pentecostal church. We had a hymn called, I am satisfied. I am satisfied just to know that my savior loves me so. Well, the song says again that Bob is satisfied and Jim is satisfied, Mary's satisfied as we all sang that song together. But here's the point. I might be satisfied today and not satisfied tomorrow. Understand this, the point is not whether I'm satisfied or not. It has nothing to do with my fickle attitude, which can change from day to day. God was satisfied. That's the point. God was propitiated. And on the cross, when Jesus died for us, he was satisfied. And when I receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I am satisfied with God. God is satisfied with me. Our satisfaction, again, has nothing to do with God's satisfaction. Although the longer I'm with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more satisfied I am with him. But there's still some days I get frustrated because I don't understand the scripture, don't understand the concept. Eventually, the Lord answers it, and I have to understand something. My frustration doesn't make God frustrated. He is satisfied eternally with Jesus Christ, and thank God he's satisfied with Bob. And the same thing is true with you. Let's talk about the Old Testament shadows of propitiation. The Ark of the Covenant was a type of the propitiation of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box made out of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The wood represents the humanity of Jesus Christ and the gold represents the deity of Jesus Christ, both put around this wooden box. Jesus Christ came into this earth and took on a wooden box. He took on a human body, absent was the sin nature, Absent was the curse that, that uh, Adam got us into because Jesus came through a virgin birth, not through a man's seed, which would pass on the nature of the flesh and also spiritual death. Jesus bypassed those, but he took on a human body, a human body that could be beaten, cause blood to come out of it. I mean, all these things that Jesus went through. And so he was tempted in all points as we are, but he never sinned. So the wood represents the humanity of Jesus Christ, but there's gold. Gold represents the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the God-man. And therefore, as God, he could satisfy the claims of God. As a human being, he could represent and satisfy the claims of human beings, of people. But being a perfect human being, he could also satisfy God and was qualified to go to the cross. The sacrifice had to be perfect. That's why they searched over and looked them over for three days. Jesus was searched for three years of public ministry, showed himself, showed himself in every case. and every case, twice, God commended him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because not only did God, a man keep looking at him, God examined him for three years. And Jesus Christ came out as the perfect human being, went to the cross to die for us. Hebrews chapter nine and verse four and Numbers chapter 17 and verse eight give us the contents inside of the uh, wooden box, the Ark of the Covenant. 
First of all was the pot of manna. Now the pot of manna represented all the provisions God gave for them, but they got, they rejected that. So the pot of manna represents God's provision, but the people rejected it. They got tired of manna. Aaron's rod that budded was in there. That's rejection of God's priesthood. God gave them a priesthood, but they turned against the priesthood. By the time the Old Testament was over, the priesthood was involved in sins, in all type of uh, terrible sins. And uh, God looked at it even as unbelievers. Next of all was the tablets of the law. And that's rejection of God's authority. They rejected God's law. They couldn't live up to it. So what does the ark represent? Jesus Christ, God, man, bearing the sins of the world. He took their rejection of God's provision, rejection of the priesthood, rejection of God's authority, and ultimately rejection of God himself. The ark represented Jesus Christ bearing the sins of the world. On the top of the ark, again, I've told you, was a gold mercy seat representing propitiation. This is found in Exodus 25, verses 17 through 22. The two gold cherubs, again, represent the righteousness and justice of God. And in Exodus 25 and verse 22, where I just told you that this representing a propitiation was, we are told God said, there I will meet you. Where does God meet us? Where the blood was sprinkled. We can't put it anywhere before that because before that God was angry toward man. God was separated from man. Jesus Christ brought the two impossibilities together. And the New Testament confirms the importance of the mercy seat as the shadow of propitiation in Hebrews chapter nine and verse five. Understand it, when the blood was sprinkled and God was satisfied, now God says, I'll meet you here. And where are we meet God where Jesus Christ died for us and shed his blood for us. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat, satisfying again both the righteousness and justice of God. The smell of the incense in God's nostrils represents propitiation, temporarily by animal sacrifice, but Jesus Christ was the eternal sweet-smelling fragrance in God's nostrils. When my wife and I were first married, we were in a grocery store broke as could be, just broke as could be. And I mean, I was walking through, I was going to get some toothpaste and stuff like that. But in there, they had a small section and they had in the grocery store, they had fragrances for women and fragrances for men. As I walked by, I looked down there and there was a bottle of Jade East. Jade East was what I wore in high school. I mean, that stuff was cheap as could be. And today when I smell, it's like, Ugh. but I'll tell you, I hadn't had that thing, that stuff on for quite a few years. I mean, here I was in my early twenties. I graduated at 18 and it had been a number of years, but I looked down there, I saw that, and I thought, oh, so I, I looked in the box. I went ahead and bought it, took it home. I mean, it was cheap, really cheap. Went in the bathroom, closed the door, opened it up, and went, and you know what happened? I suddenly was not standing in a bathroom in our apartment that my wife and I were renting. I was in the back seat of a convertible car driving into the drive-in where all the kids went in high school. I saw myself back there. All these memories started coming back. You know why? Because smell is the closest a thing to remembrance. And, and and science will tell you this, more than what you see and what you hear, smell will bring back memories like nothing else. When God smelled the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he said, oh, no more temporary. I mean, he remembered all those sacrifices back there and said, now it's eternal. And so when he did, he smelled that and said, I'll never need another sacrifice again. This is at every time a believer gets saved, every time a sinner gets saved and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, God goes, and he remembers the cross because I smell just like the resurrected Jesus Christ coming out of the grave and my sins have been taken care of. Propitiation is the only approach to the integrity of God. Aaron couldn't enter into the veil 
or else he would die. He had to come in after the blood had been sprinkled and offered on the day of atonement. All these things are told us there in the word of God. And propitiation is also related to unlimited atonement. First John chapter two and verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins. If you stop right there and say, well, that's only for believers. It goes on to say, not only ours, but for the whole world. God is propitiated, now he's no longer angry and his anger is over, the war is over, and now anyone can come and receive Jesus. God doesn't look and say, well, Jesus died just for those that are believers. No, he died for the whole world and simply says, whosoever will may come. And if you come to Jesus Christ, accept him as Lord and Savior, God goes and says, oh, I'm happy, I'm propitiated, I'm satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross, and now I am satisfied with this one who just accepted me as Lord and Savior. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.